Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello and welcome back. In this episode, we're exploring the privatisation of Sweden's school system. And I'm talking with Professor Marlin Ederland from Malmö University. Marlin's been busy researching the growth of education companies in Sweden. She estimates there's around 25,000 of these edu businesses now working in and around Swedish schools. So what are these companies doing? What impact is this having on public education in Sweden? And what's it like to be an education researcher working in this context? I started off by asking Marlin for a bit of background. Outsiders often like to imagine Sweden to still have some sort of social democratic public school system, what used to be known as the Swedish model. So how much have things changed over the past 30 years or so? I mean, that's the image uh, you give the rest of the world, that we have this social democratic system where, every, where equality and democracy are the guiding stars for, for education. It has actually during the last, what should we say, 40, 50 years now, uh, been uh, first slowly and then quite rapidly changing. Uh, so today it's more of a, we have a school system where about uh, 20% of the school organizers are private and most of them are uh, limited companies on the stock market which could make profit from, from uh, our compulsory school system. Uh, and there are a few large actors that are earning a lot of money and no one actually knows who owns these <laughs> companies because they are not uh, also they are not uh, under the laws of public government uh, so f- for example we have this law on public openness where all authorities need to have everything open and transparent that doesn't go for the for the private companies so it's a uh, a very, very strange system today, but uh, students still, children and youngsters still go to school and we have a national curricula, which is very uh, beautifully written with uh, all these goals for democracy and equality and so on. But is this decentralisation and this rise of, of private actors, is this unique to education in Sweden or is it common across the whole of the Swedish public sector? It's, uh, it's uh, the whole public sector. Uh, so the health system, care system is the same. And uh, a lot of, we used to have a lot of state-owned companies that are outsourced now. They are sold on the market. Uh, everything from pharmacy to the phone companies. and Yeah, everything. So a model neoliberal country. But it seems that Sweden's got an extraordinarily large education business sector. I mean, you say there's 25,000 companies. I mean, Sweden's a relatively small country, so what are all these companies doing? And what's, what's the breadth of ways that the private sector is now involved in education? <laughs> what do they not do, you can ask, uh, on the other hand. Um, I mean, they are involved in more or less everything within uh, education. Everything from owning and uh, running the school to, I mean, there are things that you do uh, aside from the uh, teaching and learning practices like cleaning, school lunch, 
school health um, and, and so on. And then you also have uh, companies that are outside school that are not the owners of the school, but they are selling services and products to school. And that is the edtech industry is, of course, as everywhere, huge uh, part of this. Uh, but it's also like you can buy trademark teaching models uh, or uh, staff. There are manpower companies uh, that you can hire uh, substitute teachers from uh, when they on shorter or longer uh, terms which uh, these uh, teachers seem to be think it's really nice because you don't have to do um, <laughs> difficult stuff like dealing with parents or fostering the children or that you can just focus on teaching. Yeah, yeah, and I was interested in the motivations, both of the people working as teachers, but also the motivation of the people actually own and run these companies. So cl- clearly in one sense they're doing it for the money, but presumably they're also doing it for some sort of public service. I mean, what, what's the balance? Do these companies see themselves as genuinely improving schools and genuinely making a difference? I, as, I, as I read them, as I understand them, they, of course, also they have an idea about, uh, they can imagine another kind of school that they want to, to, to get uh, to be uh, facilitating through their companies. And uh, so I actually think that they do want to do this. And the idea of modernization is very strong in this that they want to to sell for example new research they translate research they sell research collaborations so the teachers and principals can improve school they sell personnel to to solve the problem with when when people when teachers are uh, on leave or sick they they sell for not at least the digital tools uh, and also in-service training for teachers to handle this because, as we all know, teachers have no idea how to use a computer. <laughs> so is there also a kind of entrepreneurial spirit of solving problems and this, this kind of hope and hype that we see from other areas like Silicon Valley, you know, this, this idea of private sector innovation and, and solutionism? Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, it is. I think that's the solutionism uh, is something that is going through the whole sector. Uh, that that they solve problems that society have, and I I guess they do in one way because uh, we also have all this pressure on schools in Sweden. There has, as in many countries, been a, a, a large public debate about uh, the school crisis. That school is not good enough. And, and teachers and principals need to step up. And then you also have policy demands, uh, for example, that and it's in the, in the school law that uh, teaching should be based on research. And how could you as a teacher have time to find right research uh, to, to, to train yourself in doing that? And also the new demands of digitized uh, education when teachers really needed uh, in-service training to fulfil the demands of the state. So these companies are doing all sorts of things. So I mean, what, what do you consider to be wrong with all of this? I guess the firms themselves would say, oh, well, yeah, we're doing a good job, the system's working fine. You've written forcibly about the, what you've called the horrors of neoliberalisation. So, I mean, from your point of view, what are the problems here? Uh, well, 
Oh, there are so many. Uh, <laughs> first, if we say for the students, yes, it's it's. Uh, uh, it's contributing to a segregated school system where where the, the the education is not equal at all, and if since these companies also try to um, sell the idea that education should be individualized, I mean, how can you even think about an equal system where where education is individualized or even personalized or precision education? So. That's one thing for the students. Uh, another one is the quality of, of the teaching, of course. Uh, we don't know so much about that uh, yet. There are not many studies within school about what the consequences are. This is something that we need to, to do. So that's one thing. So then it's another thing. What does it do to the idea of education? Why do we have education? Is it about creating a, a democratic society with citizens that can fit in on the labor market? Or is it also to, to profit on it? Or is it to have a very specific sense of, of what kind of labor market they are pre- prepared for? So the, the aim of education or the functions of education that, for example, Pista talks about, I think it's an important question to raise. How does that change in a wider and a political perspective? And then it's also, I mean, questions about uh, what do we do with our public tax funding money? Should it go to, to venture capitalists in Saudi Arabia? Or should it be invested in, in, in the school? And this notion of obligation and the obligation that these companies have or the lack of obligation is really interesting. I was listening to Jonas Linderuth talking last year about the COVID school shutdowns in Sweden. And he was saying that during COVID in particular, a lot of these private companies just sort of disappeared and pushed the problem of dealing with remote schooling onto individual teachers. So, so there was a kind of absence of responsibility when the going got tough. Yeah, and that's what they can do. And we have had schools that are got, gone, gone bankrupt and just closed. And then the municipalities stand there with thousands and thousands of students and with no, no school. And they have to provide education for all these students. So, so are there signs now of public pushback? I mean, are, are parents beginning to ask questions or, or raise complaints about all of this? Well, I don't know about... Yeah, the parents do it in one way. Because everyone thinks it's stupid that a Swedish school could be owned by venture capitalists in Saudi Arabia, which it is. Or maybe, because no one actually knows, but they think so. Uh, so. So there is a public demand on that you need to, to change the system. On the other hand, the whole thing, how this could be uh, happening is also about the school choice that parents can can choose school to their uh, to their children uh, without any tuition at all so it's the same funding system for every school you're not even allowed to have tuition for the private schools and uh, since also the schools schools are more and more segregated uh, you have this white flight to, to some schools which are also the private schools and to say that parents will not be able to choose school, that is almost impossible. 
uh, in the public uh, discourse. So it depends on how you think about it. And these two things are related. The, the, the profit and the school voucher system uh, is so related to the freedom of choice when it comes to schools. So to uh, disentangle those is, uh, is the key to success, I think. This brings me on to the final point of, of what critical education researchers like yourselves might do. I mean, one interesting point that you've you found in your own research is the way that some of these edgy businesses in Sweden, and especially the ones that face towards school teachers and school leaders, they're making visible use of education research and education researchers. So they're commissioning friendly research projects and they're flying in edgy gurus such as John Hattie and Dylan Willem. So, I mean, how can more critically minded education researchers get involved in influencing the agendas and activities of these edgy businesses? Or, I mean, or do we risk do we run the risk of simply being co-opted into being useful idiots? I mean, how can you get involved and, and maybe push back against all of this? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, the first fieldwork I did in one of the companies, and they, they asked me after, after three days, uh, what does it cost to have a report from your study? So can you produce it for us? I mean, in a way, they are really interested in, in, in research collaborations. That's also a way of branding their companies that they collaborate with critical scholars. I didn't sell that report to them. Um, so, But, I mean, maybe that's not on that level we can work, but we can work in a, on a public opinion and, and also a, some kind of policy work, just like the influencers. Uh, to illuminate uh, what is actually happening. And because what we need to do is to disrupt the kind of normalcy that has, this has become and think about how can we think it different. What the solution is and what we are going to do instead, I mean, that's a political and moral question. It's not an, uh, an, a scientific question, I would say. Because, of course, there are gains with this system, but there are also problems. And what we can do, I mean, is to, to illuminate them and think about uh, some kind of how we can disrupt it. And also to kill some joy, as Sara Ahmed talks about, be the kill joy, to uh, scratch on the happy language of solutionism. Uh, to say that, yes, of course, this is a solution, but maybe it does something more than being a solution. So it's, so it's not the job of the critical education researcher to come up with alternatives or solutions, but, but we can shine some light on what's going on here. I mean, that's a really, really important point, I think, to end on. So, so thanks ever so much for taking the time to talk, Marlin. I've learned a lot and I'm really looking forward to, to reading much more of your research in the future. Thanks ever so much. Thank you.